1: What's up, Internet? And welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. This week, I'm joined with our Editor-in-Chief, Dana Woolman. Hey, Dana. Hey,
2: Dev. Happy to be here.
1: Thank you for being here. Um, you're a special guest this week because Sherlyn is off in Apple Land. She's in Cupertino covering all that stuff live along with Billy Steele. So we're going to look at things from afar. And I guess this is the beginning of the fall gadget season, right? So we've got this Apple event. Everybody's going to be anticipating the new iPhones. But typically, we're going to see a whole bunch bunch of other events coming too so let's dive into everything apple announced this week as always if you're enjoying the podcast please be sure to subscribe to us on itunes or your podcaster of choice and for those of you listening on audio you can join us thursdays around 10 a.m eastern on our youtube channel to see our live stream occasionally we'll show off gadgets and just have a lot of fun and we'll have some q a time too everything apple everywhere this is the big week like we're all anticipating Dana like I know this is a big deal for you because you're also an Apple reporter in addition to running all of Engadget what were you feeling you know leading up to this event and then we'll dive into our, our big takes and some of the the individual gadgets too
2: so the right expression isn't that I'm waiting for a shoe to drop because it's such mm-hmm. an ominous expression but every event that happens now with Apple I'm waiting for um the one big thing, right? I'm waiting yeah, specifically yeah. for the AR, VR, mixed reality glasses. And um, we did not get that this time. Um, the reference to far out um, in the invitation was hardly related to any sort of new technology. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so all of which is to say, for me, going into two events like these, including this one, Um, The bar is very high for me. I have very high expectations, which means it is very easy for Apple to fall short of those expectations. (laughs) But I guess I really, really am waiting for Apple to debut an entirely new product line, um, get itself into a new kind of technology that doesn't seem to be what it did um, yesterday.
1: Yeah, we're we're kind of like gadget fiends, I guess. Like we just need a new fix a little bit. Like we we want Apple to keep changing the world over and over again. I will say I think the uh maybe the SpaceX and T-Mobile news around uh you know adding satellite functionality to uh to some of their phones, like that was clearly done on purpose, right? Like I feel like they wanted to take a little bit of wind out of Apple's sails. So that was kind of funny in retrospect. I'm sure Tim Cook is not happy about all that stuff, but you know, satellite connectivity on on a standard smartphone, I think is a pretty big deal um, for some people, at least for people going out on trails and stuff. So my feelings were, I just, I wanted it to be interesting. I didn't want it to be kind of ho-hum like last year because the iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 Pro were just, they were fine. They're faster. And they finally brought a high refresh rate screen to the iPhone 13 Pro. But nothing super exciting. And I feel like we're kind of seeing the same thing this year. But Dana, I want to talk about like the way Apple started, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, They showed off this like really well-produced video about people who own Apple Watches and whose lives were saved by their Apple Watches, uh, reading off like letters they wrote to Tim Cook or maybe that was just like the formatting. What did you think of that like as it was happening? Because to me, it seemed really interesting that Apple was really focusing on this isn't just like, an exercise gadget. It's not just something to like help you with you know your daily life. It's something that could save your life. That seems like a big deal. It's not like something Google or Samsung is really like leaning on very much.
2: So I, I never want to dismiss the work that Apple is doing there. I think um, as much as Apple benefits from the PR that results from uh, stories that have been told like this. Uh, I think there really are people out there who have become aware of heart conditions through the Apple Watch. Um, I'm sure some people have benefited from the fall detection. Uh, I think where I part ways with Apple or where I disagree with them is I think it's a little bit of a stretch to then take the satellite calling and really milk it as this life-saving feature. I think it could be potentially, but you are Mm going to have to pay for it, um, unlike some of the other built-in safety and health features. Um, Pay for it after two years, we're told, and we don't know what it's going to cost. And I I do think it is a little bit of a red herring in the sense that I think it is a feature on an otherwise rugged watch meant for extreme athletes, um, people who um, enjoy the wilderness, go on hikes. Um, So... It's not to say the Apple Watch in general doesn't have life-saving potential. I think to sort of use that as a lead-in to satellite calling and to present satellite calling as um, strictly a safety feature, it it felt a little bit like a stretch um, to me anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. But to, to be clear, the Apple Watch, the satellite calling has nothing to do with the Apple Watch, right? That is... Totally separate, but they did when they talked about the Apple Watch Ultra, which we'll dive more into. That did seem like it has uh, trail finding features. It has the compass feature, can like remember where you were to help you get back to your camp. Those also seem like very, very like life saving things, at least for people who leave their homes more than I do. Um, I'm looking more and more at these devices. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't need an Apple Watch Ultra, but I'm sure a lot of like tech bros will be spending that money to get it, even though. They never go on hikes or really go off far into the wilderness. Um, I will say it is it is an interesting focus for Apple though because one reason I got the Apple Watch in the first place, I have a Series Four right now, is is for those sorts of like health reasons. Like if I'm off for a run and something happens, or honestly something I think about like if I'm in a car crash and I need to immediately get help and I can't reach my phone or something, this thing is here. It is really interesting to see Apple like add these features right into the hardware and just make it automatic. Um, I I wonder like what those stats are gonna be. Um, because we, we talk about smartphone features all the time and gadget features, but to have a feature that could genuinely save your life um in a device you already have, instead of like buying a special Garmin watch or buying, you know, a satellite phone or something. To me, that seems like a pretty big deal. So I don't know. I don't know how much of that is fluff, but that produced a uh, piece about survivors talking about how the Apple Watch saved them. Uh there was one girl who whose father crashed an airplane. And like she woke up and the Apple Watch was like aware of it and she was able to get help. Those stories are just pretty wild. So to me, it's kind of like a big, big deal. But let's talk about uh let's talk about this event overall, right? This was called um Apple kind of sold this as the far out event. And clearly we saw a lot of speculation around this. I know Sherlin like was thinking about a lot of things too. Like in our preview episode, uh it seems far out means more like satellite calling, things like that, but I think. On a broader sense, too, you can go further out with these gadgets. The Apple Watch Ultra gets up to sixty hours of battery life. It can dive deeper. You can go out further into the wilderness. So I feel like that's the idea they were getting at. Um, it, it, is that kind of what you were thinking, Dana? Like as you were prepping for this event, too?
2: No, and I think I'm done trying to analyze Apple's cryptic <laughs> invitations. After this, I think they have uh,
1: fun with it at this point, right? They're just messing with us. Yeah,
2: it is cute. I mean, look, you know uh, the Engadget staff knows. I like slash hate puns as much as anybody. Um, So the far out reference is very cute, knowing that now that it was in reference to satellite calling. And I think your um, connection with the longer battery life is also an interesting, smart one. Um, But yeah, there was all the speculation. People were like, maybe the iPhone can take better photos of the sky and space. And, you know, I think maybe as a, you could have drawn some loose connection to the, not psychedelic, but trippy experience of doing, of being in VR slash AR.
1: Far out, um, man. Yeah.
2: yeah. Far out, man. Maybe people they just want could have wanted- like
1: Corey Haim or one of the people who were like the original Ninja Turtles to do a whole far out sketch, which would not kids and Gen Z will have no idea what any of that is about, but Hey, far out, man.
2: <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think it is so easy to misinterpret those invitations and to really project onto it what we hope Apple will announce. So, I don't know. I like to, I would like to think I'm done overanalyzing these invitations when they go out. Um, But it was cute as usual.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's cute. I mean, we're, we're all a little bored. I'm thinking of like what happened with, uh, I don't know for people who were on Twitter and saw the drama around don't worry, darling. And the whole like gossip field around that. I think people were just really bored one night and started wondering, did, did, did uh, what's his face? Did Harry Styles uh, spit on Chris Pine? I don't know, but we're going to spend the whole night talking about it because we're bored and it's fun. So that's kind of like partially it. Um, I want to talk about like some things we expected, uh, some things we were like projecting from rumors that didn't show up at this event. Um, First off, like just in terms of devices – iPad, um, I think the base iPad was something Apple brought to the iPhone event last year or in previous years. Didn't see anything about that. That's probably going to be a future event in a couple of weeks. They usually have like a separate high-end iPad event. So we're going to like be ready to prepare for that too. Uh, there is no HomePod news, um, no like big sequel to the big HomePod, which... I I don't know. I'm not too sad about it. I feel like the original HomePod was kind of a miss from Apple. It was too expensive and too limited. Didn't really work well with services like Spotify. So I don't know if anybody is excited for a new thing there. And also the HomePod mini is doing really well for Apple. So I don't know. We'll see. But also a lot of people were expecting a full-on like hole punch camera, like what we're seeing on the latest Samsung Galaxy phones and so many Android phones. We kind of, sort of got that. And we could talk about this like we, we could just like lead into this. This is the the dynamic island on the iPhone 14 Pro <laughs> and Pro Max. I I, love I can't that. not
2: laugh at the name. I'm sorry.
1: It's a it's a silly name. I also kind of I kind of love it how Apple took this problem because it was clearly a problem in all the leaks we were seeing. Um, instead of a notch, the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max were projected to have like this oval, this pill shaped. Uh, just hole at the top of the screen. So it's not nearly as small as what Android cameras are doing because they only need to have like a little webcam, a little, you know, front-facing camera there. Apple needs the Face ID sensor there. So it has to be big. Um, and it's still noticeable. I, I, I don't think it's that much better than the notch, to be honest. But they also like, use software to sort of uh, make that a more expansive uh, notification area. So apps will be able to send notifications and alerts there. It can grow and expand depending on what they need. It seems kind of like cute and quirky in a non-Apple way. Like, to me, that felt really weird. Like, new designers are getting involved. Like, is this, was was that surprising to you, Dana? Because for me, it feels like post-Johnny Ive Apple, right? Like, where everybody's not as constrained and rigid within specific, like, aesthetic you know, fields, they could be a little more quirky.
2: It actually reminds me a little bit of the MacBook touch bar, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, you may have said this in private conversation the other day, but um, it, or, but and you may have even said in your post too publicly, but it, it'll be interesting to see how developers um, use this. And for the touch bar too, the success of that really was contingent upon whether developers took advantage of it and how I think here too, um, the dynamic island could be useful. It could be annoying. Mm
1: -hmm,
2: Um, mm -hmm. I I feel a little more neutral toward it. I mean, I'm someone who was never particularly bothered by the notch itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not bothered by this design either. I I do think it is a little silly to say that Apple removed the notch. I guess technically speaking, it did in that it it is. Kind
1: of snipped off the tip of the notch and. Just left a big hole there. Yeah,
2: it is. By the way, uh, this is a slight digression, but I think it's really funny how even though the rumor mill around Apple events is often correct, the specific naming of things is often yeah. a little off. So, for yeah. instance, we thought this was going to be called the Apple Watch Pro and it's the Apple Watch Ultra. Like, I don't know, Does how are we wrong on that every time? Or does Apple just to troll us, like change mm-hmm. the name last minute, relatively speaking, even if it, it results in something silly like this. I know.
1: I, I don't know. Like that just seems like a little too maniacal, right? Like it doesn't doesn't really have any effect. Maybe it was called the Apple Watch Pro at some point, right? And maybe they felt like that was too limiting for who it was for because it's not really for professionals, it's for people who want more from a watch, right? So maybe Just logically, it didn't make as much sense. Um, I think most likely it was called the Apple Watch Pro at some point. And the rumor mill is based on information that's like several months old, right? So things change. Things are pretty dynamic, like the island. Um, So I I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, I do want to say, like, to your point, Dana, the dynamic island does remind me of the touch bar. But I think the important thing was the touch bar Killed something that was reliable, that we all knew. Like, it killed the function row. I remember you were really annoyed by losing the escape key, um, which Apple ended up bringing back for the later touch bar. They had a physical escape key plus a smaller touch bar. But my thing was... I just never knew where anything was on the touch bar, right? Like I I didn't, I couldn't just go and hit F5. I had to like see what the app changed my touch bar into or tap around to like get back into the normal shortcuts to like change brightness or something. So the touch bar was just annoying. The dynamic island is at least like it's this portion of the phone that isn't really used as much. So I feel like making that more expansive could be interesting and could be useful just looks kind of cool to me. Uh, But you were talking about, Dana, um, you have issues with, like, notifications. And we've both been testing the new iOS, iOS 16, and it has a fully, like, revamped way of dealing with notifications. Seeing this dynamic island, I kind of have a better sense of what Apple is doing there, too, right? Like, are you feeling this completes the iOS notification like changes and things that we've been looking at for a while?
2: I would hope so. I remain hopeful about Apple and notifications. I do feel yeah. like it's an area where Apple keeps pledging to do better and then keeps falling somewhat short. <laughs> Certainly before <laughs> iOS 16 came out, I would often find that notifications would roll in from the top and it would interrupt what I was doing. So if my finger happened to be hovering toward the top of the screen in a different app, I would get redirected into whatever the notification was, not because I wanted to be there, but because my finger was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think notifications um, coming from the bottom of the screen and and staying there, it makes sense. I think what I have found using the beta is some inconsistencies in the language of the physical user language of um, when I should be expecting to find notifications at the top or the bottom it's just not something i feel um even having used it for a bit that i feel like it doesn't feel like second hand it doesn't yeah. feel like second nature just yet
1: it's a little clunky and for people who haven't used ios 16 yet um what what tends to happen you're normally used to like pulling down from the top left of your screen and just seeing a boatload of notifications from all the apps on your phone. Now you see like a cleaner screen that gives you the time and basically your lock screen. You have to tap again to kind of make the notifications pop up. And even then Apple is like very controlled about how it's showing you those notifications. So they're trying to balance the fact that every app is trying to ping you about everything while also delivering that information to you. So I feel like the dynamic island just kind of like fill that gap a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
2: It's I'm, a little I'm different intrigued. for me using an Apple Watch because the mm-hmm. Apple Watch just is um, not very discerning. So I, I can see on the Apple Watch every single notification that's come in, whether or not it's easy to find on the oh, iPhone man. itself. Yeah.
1: This year, by the way, it seems like uh, just like last year, the iPhone 14. Pro and Pro Max are really the phones to get excited about, right? They have all the new hardware. They have the new uh, A16 Bionic chip, um, which is going to be faster and more efficient than last year. And this, kind of interesting, this year, it's only on the Pro line. Typically, Apple has brought its new chips to all the phones. Last year, the A15 was on the Pros, and it was on the standard iPhones. It was even on the iPhone uh, 13 mini which is kind of astounding to think about right now. Also, we don't have a mini anymore, but we'll get to that. Um, The Pro also has a 48-megapixel camera, which uh, uses oversampling to kind of downsample uh, those bigger pictures into 12-megapixel picture sizes. So that all seems pretty exciting, too. Like, just higher-quality photos. You can take a full uh, 48-megapixel photo if you want in ProRes. For, for I don't know, crazy people, uh, if you really need all of that, there's an always-on display. It seems like a lot of features that have been on Android phones are basically now on the iPhone 14 uh, Pro. Is is this kind of what you wanted from a high-end iPhone in 2022, Dana? Or is there something more you wanted Apple to bring to it?
2: I don't know what I wanted. And, I mean, that sort of sheds light on whatever disappointment we're collectively feeling about it being just another iPhone. I mean, I think always I'm most excited about a new design. Um, I I don't know that there were any huge pain points I was trying, I wanted to see solved, um, including on the camera experience. I mean, I guess I would at this point expect some more pixels. Yeah. Yeah. I would expect continuous upgrades on the shooting experience. And um, speaking as someone who normally goes to, Apple events, I would say at this point, I've lost the shame and the stigma of showing up to a professional event like that and taking photos on the iPhone. I regularly do take photos on the iPhone. Um, I both would expect, but don't feel like I necessarily specifically needed anything on the camera front. But no, this is about what I would expect Apple to do. Improve the cameras. um, Ideally, always improve the battery life, the um, performance. I mean, were there any big pain points for you that you wish Mm. Apple had solved.
1: I mean, it is nice to see the the notch evolve, maybe not completely obliterated, but you know, the iPhone X, the iPhone 10 in twenty seventeen gave us the notch and we have to, have to we've lived with that for what, five years now, and it's it just become like more and more of a thing as I see Android phones getting sleeker and cleaner and having like tiny little pinhole cameras. Uh, it is a thing that I feel like has held Apple back. Uh, last year, they also added the ProMotion screen. So I upgraded last year just for that, like just to have a high refresh rate screen because I spend too much of my life scrolling. So to have that look a little cleaner and smoother is worth it to me. Um, it's hard to think of like what else, right? I want more battery life, sure. It's typically
2: software stuff for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've I've had some very specific um, asks over the years. Um, I wanted for so long for Apple to introduce um, distance and time-based intervals for workouts. And it finally announced that at WWDC back in June. Um, Ovulation and fertility tracking was really high on my list. And we're going to talk about that too. But yeah, all of my wish lists my wish list lately has been comprised almost entirely of software features that I know Apple can um, has the resources to both develop and push out in a reasonably timely manner, which makes it all the more frustrating when Apple doesn't deliver. But it's, it's at this point very difficult to come up with something on the hardware front where I wish Apple would take a big step. I mean, obviously, I think we all want to feel surprised and delighted sometimes, but that's a very vague request, especially when we generally already enjoy the hardware itself.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like it, it is always that that marriage between hardware and software is the thing that Apple does better than anybody. So to see the software kind of lag behind at times, I think is more disappointing than dealing with, uh, I don't know, lackluster hardware. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: It, it says a lot about Apple's priorities. And I mean, to go back to the conversation we were having earlier about the satellite calling. Um, I'm trying not to be too dismissive. I know that it can, (laughs) in some cases, actually save lives. But I think what I wanted to say earlier in the conversation is I wish Apple would just come out and say it's competing directly with high-end sports watches like those that are made from Garmin. It's like, yeah, you want to save lives, but like you also have decided that like certain performance athletes are, for whatever reason, a priority. And maybe in some cases, a bigger priority than other users who were being underserved in certain mm-hmm, areas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think um, that's why I get a little hot under the collar talking about <laughs> Apple's presentation and back padding around the satellite calling. It's not that it won't be useful for anyone. I think it just does say something about their priorities. And I think sometimes they can be a little disingenuous about
1: that yep i mean they as always as a company apple has always had a great command of marketing and their message right and uh that, that is just happening here too like they will never mention the competitor unless it's to like clown on them like i remember when uh when kind of the surface was happening right the original surfaces and apple would like make fun of having you know a touchscreen on a computer like that like the the point where you add a keyboard to a touchscreen computer you failed i think they said it's or at some point um so that that is just apple's thing they have to control their messaging uh but you know what let's move on to uh to some of the other stuff we'll we'll see here uh the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 plus uh there's no more iPhone mini there's no iPhone 14 mini apple is going back to the plus side sort of like what they did with the iPhone 10r uh several years ago as well where there was just like a bigger screen version of the basic iphone um is there anything here that is like interesting to you dana like uh, they're 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 having more colors which i think is going to be better for like general consumers the plus is going to appeal to a lot of folks i know like especially older users want bigger screens but maybe they they don't want to pay for the price of the pro max so i feel like for those folks having that bigger screen is nice um anything like specifically you know jumping out at you with the iPhone 14 Sana?
2: No, if anything jumped out at me it was it how much of an afterthought it felt.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um even in our own coverage we covered it but I don't think we were in as, as much of a rush to see the iPhone 14 as we were the iPhone 14 Pro. Um and that isn't I wouldn't say that's typical of what we see on Apple days. I mean me personally I don't own a Pro or a Max. I own a regular iPhone. It'll be interesting to see how sales numbers bear that out. There might mm-hmm. actually still be, I hate the phrase silent majority, but there still might be a lot of people who do go for the regular iPhone because it's, it's quite good enough and yep. it is more reasonably priced. But I, I think certainly from a coverage standpoint, as far as you and I as tech journalists looking for the most interesting story, um, the basic iPhone does feel a little more like an afterthought. This year, not that you shouldn't buy it, but there were fewer things of note to say about it.
1: I feel like the same was true last year with the iPhone 13 as well. Like there was a new mini and people like that, but I don't know if it's a silent majority. But you know, there there's a lot of people who don't read in Gadget. There are a lot of people we don't typically talk to, and they go into store and they just want the iPhone and they get the iPhone. Um, there there was a report recently showing that Apple overtook uh, Android as the most popular uh, as the like leading smartphone. Uh, brand in America, right? More people own iPhones than Android phones, which shocked me to be honest. Because I, I used to think uh, when we started reporting on all this stuff, Android phones are cheaper. They're out there. A lot of carriers just give them away. Uh, why there should just be more Android phones out there? But it turns out in the U.S. that's not the case. It's it's kind of neck and neck, and Apple has overtaken the Android folks now. So that was surprising to me. I almost wonder if they're thinking about like. You know, people like you, Dana, right? Like, you're a power user. You're somebody who really uses your devices. Maybe maybe you need just a little push to spend several hundred dollars more to get a Pro, right? And I feel like they're doing that in a couple of ways, right? Because the iPhone 14 has the same A15 Bionic chip as last year's phones. Specifically, it's the iPhone uh, 13 Pro version of the Bionic. So that one had a five-core GPU instead of the four-core GPU on the iPhone 13 standard. I don't think anybody's really going to notice that. That's not a huge upgrade. What it really means is that last year's hardware is running in this year's iPhone. And that is a pretty like, significant shift for Apple. Uh, general users will never see that or notice that. But I think people like you and me who are like, I want to buy a device I'm going to use a lot that can handle everything I throw at it, that can last several years. I want this year's chip. So that clear delineation also is really interesting to me. Um, It does seem like Apple's just saying, hey, mainstream users, go for the plain iPhone, you're fine. Everybody else, the nerds, you should be getting a Pro and here is why. I feel like this year really made that clear.
2: I think Apple also has to walk a fine line in its marketing, specifically for the way it markets its camera performance. Um, I think one way that you do get people to buy the Pro instead is to really talk up what you get in terms of... um, advantages in the, the camera experience. But you can't do that. You can't also um, imply to people that the photography experience on the regular iPhone is somehow subpar, right, especially right. if if shot on iPhone has become a catchphrase um, in their advertising campaign. So I think- Surely they have smarter minds in marketing than I do. I am not an advertiser. <laughs> I'm very proudly not in advertising, but I think they have a fine line to walk there. Um, they do have to yeah. sell people and the differences without somehow cannibalizing or um, negging their own baseline yeah. camera performance.
1: I'm thinking it, it is like walking a tightrope. I'm thinking of like man on wire, who's just like, I I got to really, people want the new iPhone, but also some people want the pro and we can't say the standard iPhone is less than somehow right it still has to be better than last year so i don't know i'm i'm also not a marketer but i think the way they handle their messaging is really fascinating to see um yeah apple did talk about having like better camera software basically like things to help with low light uh the iphone 13 the iphone 14 standard does have a few better sensors i believe it has the ultra wide camera from last year uh from the last year's pros so it is better in some respects but still a wide and an ultra wide camera it's not um it, it doesn't have the telephoto lens right it, there there's some things it doesn't have that the pro still has uh one thing we also haven't talked about that i know people are bringing up in chat um sukulu uh says in the chat like is apple giving up on developing markets ESIM is not that readily available uh where he's at and uh, satellite communication is also not easily available good points. I remember when we were watching this presentation, when Apple, I think clearly said like there, there aren't SIM cards, there's no SIM card tray in any of the iPhone 14 models. Uh, Sherlyn especially was like, Hey, that's a problem. It's all eSIM only. And I kind of agree like, um, maybe because we're weird and we travel a lot for work or we used to, I'm definitely used to going you know, to another country, looking locally for a SIM card and, uh, dropping that into my phone to get like cheap, unlimited access. Yeah, It's always easier than paying your roaming fees for your American carrier, which is unreliable, never unlimited, uh, just really tough. Now you're just kind of, you're stuck. You have to go eSIM. You have to find somewhere internationally that covers eSIM. I know there are some startups that offer like uh, eSIM plans uh, all over the world, but that stuff is super complicated. For me, this feels like very anti-consumer. It seems like, Apple did not need to do this, uh, taking away feature that was there last year and calling that progress is the thing that irks me the most in the tech world. And it feels like that's happening here. Do you have any feelings about that, Dana?
2: I agree. I think it was premature and I'm like you. And I, when I travel and when people I know travel, I always recommend that they stop into, um, a carrier store, maybe a big box electronic store and just get yourself a cheap prepaid, um, SIM card. And I don't really think a problem was being solved here, um, it's it's certainly low tech to stick a, uh, a clothespin in your right, uh, right. in your in your phone and pop out the tray, but it's also not hard. And um, yeah, I don't think this was a problem that needed solving.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like if, if they're going to do this, at least give us a better way to get eSIM plans elsewhere. Like if Apple had introduced, hey, we have this platform for all global carriers to list themselves. And when you go to another country, it pops up and it's like, hey, you could choose from these plans and uh, just swap over your eSIM, right? That's the that's the dream of eSIM, which is an electronic SIM card that you should be able to like update and change around pretty easily. We've covered eSIM for a while. Sherlyn has covered it quite a bit, too, especially when we go to Computex. The dream of eSIM is still not here. If you buy a new phone from Verizon or anywhere, like it's going to come with a standard SIM card. You have to call them and beg for eSIM to get it. So yeah, I agree. We're, we're kind of not there. This seems like a really weird thing to do. And I am I think when a lot of people travel and they see the situation they're in, they may end up being annoyed. I, I don't know. I don't have the stats. Maybe a lot of American travelers and other travelers will just pay the roaming fees to their standard carrier. But to me, it seems like yeah, kind of annoying, kind of anti-consumer. And uh, we're, we're going to keep digging into this because to me, this seems like an undertold story right now. We can celebrate all the good stuff Apple's doing. But man, this is this is super annoying. This is something that will keep me from upgrading to these phones. To I was going to ask yeah. if this is
2: going to delay your upgrade to your yeah. next iPhone.
1: Unless we have like, hey, we go to Taiwan a lot for Computex. We go to, you know, Berlin and Germany for other events. We travel quite a bit. Um, I hope to start doing that again soon. Unless we have a viable way to get eSIM in those countries, like, what are you going to do? You're kind of stuck. Like, you got to get a hotspot um, and put a SIM card in the hotspot and just, like, connect to that for your entire trip, which I know some people do, but it's kind of annoying to me. It's another device to charge, so I don't know. Uh, this is this is a rant section but certainly we're paying attention to this cuz it seems like a big deal. We didn't really talk about the satellite stuff but I do think it's a big deal. Just to have satellite connectivity on phones, Dana, like I know you're you're a big runner. I'm not sure if you're a big hiker as well or if you like hike into the wilderness. Uh but one fear I always have is just being stuck somewhere and not having any way to call for help. You know, like there there's so many stories about this there are so many movies and books about this idea to have your phone that's already in your pocket, just be able to like hold it up to the sky and get help, get like basic messaging help. To me, it seems like a big deal. We'll have to wait and see like how this is implemented on other phones with other carriers as well. Um, like on Android phones, I'm not sure how it's going to work. But just the idea is kind of kind of astounding, you know?
2: I agree. I do wonder though, how do you feel about the fact that people will have to pay for it in the end?
1: That's one thing where I'm like, Honestly, I'm more focused on the fact that Apple is giving it to everybody for two years because if you buy a satellite phone, those things are expensive. And you have to pay subscription fees to those companies as well. So if Apple has figured out ways for you to avoid just having to, you know, basically get a whole other carrier, get a satellite carrier and deal with them separately in addition to your cellular carrier, I feel like this simplifies that problem. But maybe my feelings will change once I see the pricing. You know, I'm sure maybe a lot of people just will not see the need to pay for that uh, feature. But then if you end up out there in the middle of some nowhere, uh, will it still work? Like, will it still be an emergency thing? I, I don't know. It seems like a tough thing to balance, right?
2: If it's expected ultimately that you pay for it, it might not be for people like you who are just paranoid and want to be prepared for every single situation. It might indeed just be for the performance athletes, in which case, again, um, maybe a little less back padding and just admit that you have chosen to prioritize a fairly niche market which is okay (laughs) just Mm -hmm. admit that's what you're doing right
1: they sort of make the niche uh viable right they make it like something everybody wants which i guess is the apple magic right like that's always been the magic of the Macs. i feel like a lot of users never really need the power of a mac but you have it it's a nice object it's in your home right it makes you feel good about yourself so this is the apple the cult of apple in full force i'd say Um, so yeah, I guess we'll see what's going on with the satellite connectivity. I also wonder, we're talking about how Apple could be saving lives, but if people rely on this as a sort of like, um, as a replacement to a standard satellite phone and they go somewhere and it doesn't work as well, or it has trouble, or it turns out their subscription laps or something, is then Apple responsible if they get if they are not saved? You know, like what what is the responsibility there? It seems like Apple is getting into trickier and trickier territory that other companies um, who have dealt with like these like critical infrastructure things for a while um, have figured it out. So we'll see. I guess we'll see. That's really all we can say about that. Um, let's move on to the i uh, the Apple Watches and specifically the Apple Watch Ultra, which we keep coming back to. We initially thought this was going to be um, an Apple Watch Pro, so forgive me if like I end up calling it the Pros. We talk about it; that's just how I've been thinking about it for a while. Uh, initial reports that this thing was going to be close to like nine ninety nine, um, kind of compete with Garmin's Phoenix watches and some of their like really high end offerings. I um, know Garmin has you know smartwatches that sell for well above a thousand dollars, so coming in at seven ninety nine is surprising to me. I'm not sure if like you were shocked by that, Dana, but to have an Apple Watch with a bigger screen, better battery, more power, and all these like other new features that's basically just a little more than the Apple Watch Series 8 with cellular, surprising. I, I never really expect Apple to be price competitive in this way.
2: I don't, yeah, I mean, when you put it that way, um, Apple does that sometimes, right? They get you to to consider a very expensive item to be not such a bad deal. I'm thinking of the Mac Pro. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apple turns us all
1: "Eh." into business cat. Like I, yeah, hmm, maybe I should upgrade to the pro. I'm a pro.
2: Yeah. Um, So they have a way of doing that. So I wouldn't call 799 an affordable watch, but I think to your point, there are also some other very expensive watches out there. So the price isn't unprecedented and it certainly is prettier than what you would be getting um, elsewhere in that category. I don't think, um, Garmin watches of any kind are very pretty and I own a Garmin running watch. So I'm I'm (laughs) a happy Garmin customer, except for the fact that it's not a watch I want to wear when I'm not working out. Um, which is a pain point, right? Um, especially if to your point, you want something that's not just tracking your workouts or your hikes, but that all day long can monitor your, steps in your resting heart rate, it would be nice to have some consistency in what you're wearing all day long. So I do think style matters in the sense that if, um, if this watch were ugly, you would just be leaving it plugged in some of the time and it wouldn't be serving its full purpose. Yeah. So I, I, I do think the fact that it is a watch you'd want to wear all day long is what's appealing to me more so than I would say the price itself. Um, unless you consider price wise, the fact that you don't have to buy another watch. In yeah. addition
1: to that, yeah, you have to buy another watch. Um, I, I think the people who really aim for the Apple Watch uh, with cellular, so the standard, um, what's the standard Series Eight price? Right, it's four four hundred or four ninety nine. I got to look this up again. Um, but the the GPS is usually a little more. It's usually a hundred bucks more. And those people at that point, they're like, "Huh," I go go a little more beyond GPS. All the Ultras come with uh, they. Sorry, they come with uh, cellular connectivity. That's what I mean. But all the Ultras come with cellular. So I might as well just make that jump. Um, and maybe it'll be more useful to me. Uh, it is, it's interesting. I do think these sensors are interesting. Like um, it can track dives better. It has a lot more, uh, they have a new watch face too. They can give you all sorts of like settings and show you the altitude and things like that. So I feel like for people who are really out there in the wilderness, this could be a good thing. I don't know I don't know how Garmin's battery life compares. That's one thing I don't know. I feel like they typically Battery life is
2: one thing Garmin yeah. is good at. What Garmin is not good at aside from the fact that their watches are a little ugly? is um, they're never going to be as good at notifications and the general smartwatch experience as Apple. Um, I've tried many brands in testing watches for Engadget. Um, Garmin is one of them, but not the only one. But across the board, if it's not an Apple watch, I generally turn off notifications because they're more annoying than they are useful. Um, So just the, the overall experience of having not just a fitness watch, but a watch that is a smartwatch um, and that has app integration, I think Apple is far ahead of the competition. I, I have felt conversely that um, there have been certain specific, often niche fitness features, and sometimes not so niche fit- fitness features where Apple lags behind the competition. But there too, I would question how much of that is a software update versus. Um, apple bumping up against hardware limitations
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. apple certainly has i think aesthetically has more limitations than like garmin can make the big ugly watches with better sensors and you know more accurate gps or something but it feels like apple just solved that by making a bigger standard apple watch uh because they say this has what two levels of gps like it's more accurate um a lot more sensors um Also, has a bigger screen. It's forty-nine millimeter, you know, bigger than the what forty-five that we've seen up until now. That was the biggest Apple Watch. So, for a lot of people, this could be really interesting. But uh, I think people also forget that Apple has these crazy uh, Apple Watch Hermes watch bands and like, uh, you know, things you can buy that start at like around thousand dollars and go all the way up to like seventeen hundred dollars or something. So. If you just want style, if you have way too much money and you just want to, like, have a stylish Apple Watch, you can do that. But for the sensible, you know, person out there who just wants to, you know, having more features and have something with a bigger screen that looks cooler in other ways, you have this thing which is now, I guess, kind of mid-range for Apple, right? It's the middle of their price range, even though this price is really high. Yeah.
2: As a runner, by the way, I've always felt a little gaslit by Apple's, the Apple Watch's GPS performance. In the beginning, I really didn't think it was very good, especially compared to Garmin. I thought Apple's GPS was less accurate. Um, The Apple Watch tended to tell me that I ran longer and therefore faster per mile. And as I've tested more watches, the performance has gotten a little better. And I've always asked Apple for comment about it. And it, it I've never gotten a real on the record comment. And even on background, it comes down to, well, we're always fine tuning. Things in the background. And here there's promised better GPS performance mm-hmm. without ever admitting to me. They've <laughs>
1: had the bad conversations. GPS, yeah. it, the GPS wasn't so good. Yeah. um You know, I like a lot of people at Apple. Uh, I respect them as, as people we have to work with quite often. But it is funny as a company how they are so, so good at messaging and so good at like staying on message and never straying from that and never like giving you the human face of like, yeah, we know this is a problem, and we have these limitations with the cases, and maybe eventually we'll get better. Uh, We never get that from Apple. We just get the progress. It seems like, yeah, that's what makes them the best company in the world, because they just solve these problems without ever acknowledging them that they exist. Uh, So yeah, the Ultra looks cool. I think design-wise it seems really sleek. I I really want one, but I'm not going to I sit at a desk most of the day. You know, I go for walks around my suburban neighborhood. Occasionally I go to the park. I don't need an Apple Watch Ultra. I may maybe need, you need yeah. the
2: SE, which is $249. I
1: do yeah, honestly, more exciting than the Apple Watch Series 8 is the new SE, which is 249, has the same CPU, has the same like chip as the Series 8, a lot of the same sensors, it has car crash detection. Um I think for like kids and teenagers and just like people in your family who may not need the latest and greatest. This is a great, great watch. Like it looks good. It has a slightly bigger screen than last year. Um, Essentially it means Apple is also not selling the series three anymore. Was the SE basically just the series three last year? I forget like how that worked. Um, But they're, they're not selling that old ancient watch anymore. So the SE all of a sudden is like a more viable thing for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, yeah the writing's been on the wall i think mm-hmm. we learned at wwdc that the watch 3 wasn't receiving the new version of watch os
1: good, good. and Killer.
2: um we were upfront about that but i think that was really the clearest sign that it was not long mm-hmm. for this
1: world i'm thinking of like my kids right now like my daughter sophia is gonna be turning four soon so in elementary school maybe it'd be good for her to have an apple watch you know like maybe that could be useful to her um and certainly as she gets older too like yeah, there there's a lot of uses for a cheap Apple Watch that has that still looks really good. It doesn't seem like a big um it doesn't seem like it's a big step down from the Series 8. And the Series 8 by the way, um looks the same as the Series 7. No major like physical like exterior hardware changes there. Uh there is a new temperature sensor that enables uh cycle tracking, which I know you've like written about too, Dana, and like how Apple deals with period tracking in general, ovulation tracking o- specifically. Yeah. 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 Ovulation tracking. So how do you feel about this feature finally being here? And from what you've seen, like it seems like it has some interesting things I haven't seen before in other pieces of hardware. Like it, it will, like in the background, keep track of like how you're doing and tell you about deviations and things like that. Is this a is does this solve the problem you were talking about before?
2: Oh boy! So mm-hmm. you're ready for me to start ranting on. Go this. go okay yeah. Um, so uh, for readers who don't know, I wrote about this back. Um, earlier in the summer, and this was in the wake of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And without writing too political of an article, basically noted um, there's this big conversation and has been this big conversation about the privacy of third-party fertility tracking apps. And the point I was making was maybe if Apple had a better first-party app, fewer people would feel the need to go to these apps with um, questionable data privacy practices. And there were so many ways to me that Apple could obviously improve its apps, even taking inspiration, stealing from other apps. And um, there were a number of things on my list, which I'm happy to go through. But one of them was ovulation tracking. Um, You could until now, you could track your period and Apple would predict, I think, with decent accuracy when your period was going to begin, um, but didn't really it didn't take it upon itself to predict when you would be ovulating, which if you're trying to have a baby, is uh, a very narrow window. Um, until now, Apple would show you, um, in a different shade, a shade of blue, um, I think six or seven days on the calendar when you would possibly be ovulating, but that is a wide window and that doesn't match with the biological reality. Um, if you were trying to conceive there, uh, your best chances are either on the day you're ovulating or the day before. So giving us a six day window for those of us who are trying or have been trying, it is not really helpful unless to be graphic, you intend to have sex every single (laughs) day, (laughs) which, um, so it's not very helpful information and there's no reason that Apple could be more specific. Um, Temperature tracking is a good place to start. I think there are different ways that people track their fertility and one way is fluctuations in their temperature. And you can't, it's really the overall graph that matters because right before you ovulate your, your basal body temperature spikes. So it doesn't really matter what your temperature is from one day to the next. You're not going to read many, much of the tea leaves looking at one day's reading, but what matters is the overall graph. So I think it is helpful that Apple is collecting this data and, um, noting what your personal patterns are, and will hopefully use machine learning to get better over time at um, predicting when you'll be ovulating. Uh, there is more it can do, uh, both to make the app more usable and also to refine its predictions. But I think starting with the temperature readings is... Good. Um, you could previously manually take your temperature yourself using a thermometer and Yeah. you could manually input. That's very un-Apple
1: that. to do that. Yeah.
2: Even that was annoying. Mm-hmm. So, um, basal body temperatures, um, the readings, most thermometers go down to a hundredth of a degree. So imagine that you're manually inputting it and you're using Apple's dial the way you would if you were setting an alarm. So, um, I don't know, let's say that, and it goes always defaults to your previous day's reading. So if your temperature spiked um, a full half of a degree, that's still a lot of scrolling. So even inputting manually what your reading was, was always annoying. And I felt it was a chore every day. So um, having the reading taken automatically is, it's an improvement. Also, the readings are most accurate if they happen at the same time every day. So if Apple is doing it continuously, it can, there's no pun intended here, but it can have a data set that is apples to apples instead of me
1: right, entering right. my
2: temperature at 7, 10 a.m. one day and then 8.30 a.m. the next and having them be not quite yeah. um comparable.
1: Testing it from a device you're probably wearing the same time every day, I think kind of will probably help that data be more meaningful for you. Um you know, quick question for you, Dana. Like, do you feel better about Apple? Gathering this data and Apple's devices gathering this data for you, rather than using like a third-party fertility app or something. Because I know a lot of those are out there. There's a lot of questions about like what information should we giving should we be giving out to some of these companies. Do you feel better about this being with Apple? Do you have any like concerns? Because I hundred percent. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I know there will always be Apple skeptics. And, um, uh, but I, I do trust Apple with my health data more than I do some third party company. I also think that Apple has less of an obvious business reason to be sharing my data. Exactly. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Apple
2: doesn't traffic in targeted ads. So not yet. Um, we,
1: we are talking about their, their ad network growing and growing. Right. But it's not targeted oh in the same God. way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. Not yeah. currently though. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, all of these other apps do. So 100%, I would so much prefer that Apple build a fully-featured cycle and fertility tracking app that was so full-featured, I didn't need to go to one of these other apps. And you really can't underestimate the desperation that some families feel and some people feel in wanting to conceive that they will, if Apple's app isn't cutting it, turn to another app. And they will disregard some of the shady privacy practices um, because what they want is an accurate read and they want, once they are pregnant, they want some credible information on what comes next in your pregnancy. You're pregnant for 40 weeks and, um, to someone who's never been pregnant before it is confusing mm-hmm. and it is a vulnerable time and you do want credible, yeah. accurate information. So, that's many, another so thing many of Apple those apps
1: seem so untrustworthy and like ready to prey on people. I am, they skeep me out. Yeah.
2: And this was another point I made in the article. I don't think Apple needs to write its own content for people who are pregnant, but it can use the same curation techniques that it uses in all of its other platforms, including Apple News, and serve users what it deems to be really high quality, accurate information, whether it's from the Mayo Clinic or WebMD or whatever other partners you can think of that are accurate. Um because otherwise, people are going to go to other apps, and it's a little questionable where the information comes from, whether it was written in house. And um, I would so much more trust Apple than any of these other random mm-hmm. companies.
1: Well, also because the data staying on your device, you don't share your data. Apple is all encrypted, so like their emphasis on privacy over the last few years feels like it could be playing off, uh, paying off really well, especially for people who are concerned about that stuff too. So. Thank you, for, thank you for bringing your perspective into this, Dana. I really appreciate it. Um, we are nearing our time. We actually had a little bit of time limitation for this recording. So I'm just going to quickly say uh, Apple also announced the AirPods Pro Gen 2 at this event. Um, check out all of our coverage around that. That thing seems really interesting. It has better drivers, a new H2 chip, better noise canceling. Uh, it has touch-sensitive controls, too, for volume, which is nice. I know a lot of people have been complaining about that. So that's been kind of a huge issue um so yeah airpods pro gen 2 seems good and honestly my beats fit pro just started like peeling off that your tip just like broke a couple days ago i feel like this is on purpose i don't know apple knows what's up uh all my devices are ready to sabotage me uh but i think we can wrap Um, you know dana you've been watching better call Saul. yes no you recommend it you finished it up yes
2: finally caught up um was subject to some 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 major spoilers. One of them was a prominent so politics writer on Twitter. Yeah, I unfollowed yeah. him immediately. Because he did it like a day or two after the, the finale aired. I was like, that's not cool. Um Google Discover also often spoils TV shows for me because it doesn't have a way of filtering out spoilery. I hate Google headlines. Discover. We
1: need to talk about that. Like the way they deal with <laughs> news and throw it to you, I, I don't think works really well so i have caught up on it too i think better call Saul is excellent you can watch most of it on netflix the new stuff you have to like it's a whole thing but you have to like buy it at this point because amc plus doesn't keep old episodes i hate it so dumb i hate it (laughs) so dumb i've ranted about this um i'm still (laughs) mad at amc about that so anyway i had to buy the new season
2: i amc got about a month's worth Mm -hmm. of my money for that reason and i think i got to enjoy maybe three episodes from it before i canceled it
1: yep uh, I I'm yelling at them. I'm yelling at them on Twitter and everywhere. I want to quickly shout out. I've been watching the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon, The Rings of Power. It's so good. I would love to write about it. I need to find some time to do that. But it is good, like good fantasy. Um, clearly a very expensive show and uh, sort of like a good successor to the to the uh Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies. Like I hated the the, the Hobbit movies, but this is like big beautiful high fantasy and i love it i am loving it a lot more than the new house of the dragon show the new game of thrones show to be honest so yeah that's my take and i think it's well worth watching so check it out folks especially if you're into like dorky fantasy stuff our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own managing editor Terrence o'brien the podcast is produced by ben elman You can find Dana online at
2: just Dana Waldman on Twitter. All my other social networks are private, but you can find me on Twitter. I don't even tweet that often, but hey.
1: Come find me. You can find me online at at Divindra on Twitter. I podcast about movies and TV at the Filmcast at the filmcast.com. And uh, you can email us at podcast at engage.com. We definitely want more emails. So please like drop us some. We need, we need more than the spam we're getting folks. And we will bring up your questions on the show. So please like send us some good stuff. You can leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Thanks folks. We're out.